It is Thursday, July 29th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Draft Sharks Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff, and joining me tonight is a special guest making his second appearance on the show. He is the back-to-back winner of the Football Guys Championship on MyFFPC.com. He is a co-host of the First and 15 podcast. He is an actual real-life doctor, a surgeon and director of the Texas Allergy and Sinus Center. He is at Skywalker 2000 on Twitter, and he'll be competing for the second year in a row in the Draft Sharks Invitational coming up soon. Abib Agbatoba, welcome back to the show, and thanks very much for joining me tonight. Oh, man, thanks for having me. It feels very, very good to be back on with you guys. It's nice to have you. I got to pick the brain of a two-time champ, and we're definitely going to get into that. I invited the good doctor back for a couple of reasons. One, I'm seeking a full-time job managing his rosters in season because I'm sure it's getting a little unwieldy at this point. (laughs) I could use the help. (laughs) (laughs) I'm available, so we could talk about that after the show. I can do a little caddying maybe. Number two, though, Dr. A and I recently drafted together in an FFPC main event league. So we will be competing directly for a shot at that big prize this year. We will get to that draft in a little bit. But first, I wanted to do a little bit of setup, just so I and anybody watching or listening knows where you're coming from, Doc. So tell us, how many Football Guys Championship drafts have you done already this year? Ooh, that's a that's a tough question right out the gate. Uh, <laughs> let's just say enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take that. Definitely somewhere in the double digits. Would you say more than 20 at this point? Uh, yeah. I would say, I mean, I'm close. Yeah. 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 <laughs> How many FFPC main event entries are you planning to do this season? However many credits I have from last year. So I think mm-hmm. I did about five or six last year. And I think I have about, you know, six or seven credits this year. Uh, so popped in a, a few slow drafts thus far. Uh, that's kind of uh, kept the edge off from me wanting to hop in a, a football guys on a nightly basis. So those are nice. Uh, they kind of scratch the itch just a tad bit. Uh, and then maybe I'll do, a, a, you know, one or two, uh, you know, the standard fast uh, mm-hmm. main events. And we'll see. Uh, hopeful that I can uh, get into one of the live Vegas main events, but we'll see what the schedule looks like. How long have you been playing these these big tournaments? 2018, I think, was my first uh, first time really, you know, going into football guys. And I think like most people who start off, you know, you start off kind of, you know, small, and, you know, get your feet mm-hmm. wet a little bit. I had, you know, I think uh, anywhere from two to three teams. For me personally, uh, it was definitely, uh, I don't want to say an eye opener, but uh, an awakening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you were as, awake by year two, it turns out, huh? <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 caught a, I caught a lucky streak there, but. <laughs> it definitely took a little bit of time to kind of learn the format. And so I think, uh, uh, you know, if you're going to go in the first year, you know, depending on how well you are familiar with tight end premium and the and the uh, two flex position uh, uh, and, you know, the roster constructions with the FFPC, you may want to kind of, you know, start off, you know, with a few teams here or there. But, hey, you know, who knows? Yeah, you said it was eye-opening. And so for, like, anybody else who might even be an experienced fantasy player – and thinking about jumping into these or already have jumped in, what, what do you think are like, you know, a couple of key things that they could do to get acclimated and to, you know, hit the ground ready to compete? Preparation is always key, specifically for this format, understanding the scoring system, understanding, you know, uh, your starting positions. FFPC, I think, is very, very unique. Not, you know, I think the tight end premium makes it unique, but I think the fact, the fact that you can start two flex positions from either the tight end wide receiver running back position also make it very unique. Mm-hmm. There's only two wide receivers and there's only two running backs. So other formats like NFSC where you start three wide receivers, it, there's definitely a, a different mentality that you have to bring uh, when playing in FFPC. And I think uh, players who kind of go back and forth, sometimes it may be hard to you know, change, you know, know, go from one, one format to the other. So I think it's really understanding your league, studying ADPs and draft boards, having a good uh, sense of where players are going is, is very key. You can try and plan in terms of trying to determine you know, how you want to start your team off. Uh, whether you want to start off with two running backs and then you know and then hit wide receivers or grab one of those tight ends early, but I'll tell you, you know, 
for me personally, every draft is different, you know, so you never know what's going to fall to you in the first round. So just be prepared to not follow a particular plan that you have in place. It seems like whatever format you're drafting, flexibility is always important because especially when you get into some of these live drafts, there's some crazy picks that go in these drafts. You might, you might have somebody that you're sure you can get in round four and he's gone. You might have somebody shockingly go ahead of you in round one, Kyle Pitts going in the middle of that round. So absolutely, flexibility is always important. Have you done a lot of best ball drafting? Uh, either in this format or others to to either prep or to just supplement you and kind of keep from scratching that itch every night with the live drafts, like you said? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, honestly, I don't do too many best balls. Uh, mm-hmm. I did in the past. I had, you know, some you know fairly good success. It just, you know, it's just something that doesn't really call to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't get excited about it. I don't feel like it helps me out when it comes to the uh, redraft leagues. I like the in-season management. Uh, I love the draft, but I really like the in-season management. I, I love to be able to, you know, watch the games on Sunday, you know, as many games as I can, really kind of take that all in, and then make a decision the following Sunday as to, you know, who I want to start, who I want to sit, who I want to pick off waivers. I really enjoy that aspect of it, even, you know, if it's a large amount of teams and, and, mm-hmm. and, and that takes a, a long amount of time. So for me, the best ball, I don't know how much it helps out in terms of prep. I think it's a, you know, to me, it's a different skill set. And, and when I do best ball, I'm putting on a different hat and I approach it very differently. I, I used to do that back in the day and I found that it didn't really help me out help me out all that much. So if I'm doing a best ball, I'm primarily doing a best ball to win it. So I may be done one or two underdogs just because of, you know, again, free credit. I always, mm-hmm. I, I'm cheap and frugal. So I love free credit. Uh, <laughs> and I've done a, I've done a handful of uh, the um, uh, best balls through FFPC again, credit and, and, and some, uh, and some, uh, a couple of the guys through Twitter who have thrown down the gauntlet and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you're answering <laughs> challenges. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, even so, even if you're not a best ball player, but you are a high volume player in these tournaments, do you find yourself adapting any of the kind of building a portfolio of players that's more of a best ball strategy than it is generally a roster management kind of league? Do you find yourself making sure that you're not overexposed to certain players or paying attention to your player shares? Are you still just, you know, focus on your favorites or focus on building the way you like to from the specific draft spots. Yeah. I mean, I typically want to be overweight on the players that I like and the players that I'm high on. And I want to be underweight on the players that I am not a fan of or don't believe in or, or feel that their uh, ADPs may be a little bit overinflated. I don't really approach it from a standpoint of, okay, I really don't like player X, but maybe I just want to get a few shares. You know, I'm fine going all in. I'm fine being wrong on a player. One thing I am is very stubborn (laughs) and very fixed in my convictions. So for good or bad, uh, that's something that uh, I think I uh, bring to the uh, bring to my drafts as well. But I do go through I don't go through uh, my player ownership per se. You know, I'm aware of it and I'll I'll take a look at it Uh, when certain news arises. I wonder, okay, oh, how many, you know, how many Darrell Henderson shares do I have? And so I'll go look at that. But really what I do is I go team by team and, I, and I'm and i really looking at my team builds and my team constructions. And it's an interesting exercise to do about a month after 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 you have drafted or maybe even a few mm-hmm. weeks to go back and look at it and think to yourself, OK, let me look at the entire draft board. Let me go kind of team by team and compare my team versus those and just really look at my team and and ask myself, is this is this a team that can compete? And so and if I feel like it's it's not or I feel like it's weak in certain areas then I try to adjust that. And then, you know, I've, I have a tendency to, you know, especially earlier on uh, to you know, try and really lock down that running back position in the first round for sure. And but you know, also in the second round and sometimes in the third round. So I'll find my you know, self uh, after going through and doing an audit of my teams wanting to hop into drafts and, and maybe. Uh, do a, a bit different uh, uh, a draft build or draft uh, or team construction. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe go uh, with one of the uh, earlier tight ends in the first two rounds, or you know, go after the uh, you know a, a wide receiver too in the first two rounds. So I'm usually more looking at it from a team standpoint as from a player standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now I heard you guys talking on the podcast the other day about whether it's Daryl or Darrell. Did you settle on Darrell there? It sounded like for Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? I am terrible with names, like absolutely <laughs> terrible with names. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, I'm going to have to try and get better with this. this, this it's funny. That particular name goes back to one of the first fantasy leagues I played in with guys I worked with at the newspaper years ago. And some one of the guys in the league drafted Daryl Jackson, the wide receiver from the Seahawks, and announced him as Darrell Jackson, which, of course, <laughs> the rest of us being newspaper guys were like, that's not how you say yeah. his name. And <laughs> certainly well, let him hear it every single time it came up. Yeah, and I do it all the time. I do it with a lot of players because I don't, you know, some of these names kind of all sound the same. And and I love all sports. Uh, football is definitely my passion when it comes to to to, to watching the game and and uh, playing fantasy football. But I love to play basketball. I love to watch basketball. So I have these basketball names in my head too. So when it comes to like someone like Michael Carter, you know, immediately it's Michael Carter Williams to me, MCW. Like that's his name to me. Like that's all that I see. So I constantly call him MCW. <laughs> Just make sure that you don't call Patrick Mahomes Pat or you're going to get his mom on you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you talked about looking at it from a team perspective more than players. What's your process on players heading into drafts? Do you do your own projections? Do you have a source or a few sources that you trust that you tend to lean on and then kind of, go from there with your personal favorites? My process is really, um, I just try to take in as much information as possible. Mm -hmm. I probably have a subscription to every fantasy football website, including yours. I love, I love the new format, by the way, the website is amazing. Thank you. Uh, but I, I really, I mean, there's just so many creative and innovative, you know, studies out there, uh, very talented, uh, fantasy analysts uh, such as yourself. I mean, you guys do such a great job of putting together information for us to to really uh, decipher through and, and determine what's relevant, what's irrelevant, and what can help us out uh, in the drafting process. So, you know, certain things I may not find as valuable and others I do. And so I, I, I just try and take in as much information as possible because I feel like if I can go through each website and I'm aware of everything that's out there, it'll set me, you know, a little bit further ahead than the average drafter per se. Mm -hmm. And so I think like with anything in this age, information is key. And so I want that information. Uh, I want as much as possible. And I want the, you know, uh, and that's through Twitter, that's through websites. Uh, when it comes down to projections, I don't, I don't do my own projections. I honestly don't really pay attention to projections. Mm -hmm. uh, I may look at them from time to time just to, you know, try and put things into context to try and understand mm -hmm. maybe why, you know, if I'm high on a player, why isn't the field higher, higher on the same player? Or if I'm lower on a player, you know, what's the field think, you know, what are they projecting? But it was something that, you know, from a projection and a ranking standpoint, I used to rely very heavily on. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it can be a bit of a crutch and a handicap uh, in, a, in more of a negative way than a positive way. I think if you do enough prep and if you are, I don't want to say seasoned, but, you know, if mm -hmm. you've been playing for, for a few years, you, yeah. a lot of these players and you're watching the games uh, on Sunday, your gut feeling is basically all of this information, all of these different, you know, data points, all of these different uh, analytic takes and whatnot it's basically all of that combined and then eventually mm -hmm. you just you know sort of kind of on your own determine where you have set player ranked yeah i mean i think anything anytime you get more experience in something and especially at the the volume at which you draft and after you've done it for years you get to know it and the gut feelings that for some people might be i watched this guy sunday and he's not yeah. that good uh, you know, at some point it turns into, no, I've played this game and I know yeah. how this is going to go and I know what's possible for him. Projections are obviously important in that they kind of set up what's realistic, but it yeah. can also get in the way of what is possible because yeah. sometimes like the Bills last year, for example, we don't really know what's realistic because we don't know what changes might be coming. So there's, I, I definitely agree there's room for some of those, you know, personal gut feelings. Yeah, yeah. And and. Again, I'm, you know, from a, you know, data and analytics standpoint versus, you know, you know, non-analytics, I don't even want to say I'm in between. Uh, I think it's all important. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you want to use as much as you can and then ultimately come up with your own decision on where you are on a certain player. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, who are a few players that you're uh, really high on that you find yourself targeting a lot this year? Do I have to? No. <laughs> you don't have to. You can give us, no. You can give us one. Give us one. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I think we've, you know, we covered quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, 
for me, it, it's really dependent on their ADP. So th mm -hmm. this definitely changes. Uh, so I think early on, it was Jerry Judy for me. Uh, he's going in the seventh round. And so uh, that was, you know, a lock button pick for me. Now I'm gravitating towards uh, a guy like Brandon Cooks. I think he's extremely undervalued. He's typically going in the eighth round, maybe ninth round in, in certain drafts. And so that's a guy that, uh, you know, is the uh, number one wide receiver on his team. And I know he plays for the Texans, but there just seems to be a stigma with both Brandon Cooks and obviously the Texans. For whatever reason, people don't like Brandon Cooks, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, he's done it year after year with multiple QBs. Granted, those QBs were, you know, some pretty of good. the more famers. Yeah, they were pretty mm -hmm. good. But, you know, he's in a situation where the Texans have a tremendous amount of vacated targets. He is the veteran uh, and best wide receiver on that team by far, in my opinion. And we can project, you know, quite a few negative game scripts. I don't think the Texans mm -hmm. are going to be as bad as everyone else thinks they're going to be. But I think they're going to be in a number, you know, it, you know, the majority of their games are going to be, you know, trailing or coming from behind. And I think that's, uh, you know, him paired with Ty Tyrod or even if it's the rookie Mills or, you know, or backup. I think uh, regardless, he's going to be able to produce at the very least provides you flex to uh, appeal. But I think he definitely has the uh, potential for wide receiver two type numbers. Yeah, I think people started out mad at Brandon Cooks just because he got Drew Brees and then Tom Brady and, yeah. and then Deshaun Watson last year. Yet, you know, I, we're not giving him some credit for playing with Jared Goff, too. So yeah. he did some time in purgatory. Yeah. But he's got to he, – I mean, he could reach 150 targets this year. So he could he be in a bad offense with bad yeah. quarterback play and be in good shape. Absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, if Deshaun Watson does play, it's a rocket ship. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So who are a couple guys that you are not touching at ADP? I would probably say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers backfield. I'm all for uh, taking a shot at ambiguous backfields. And when I say take a shot, I mean, you know, you do your deep dive, you go down a rabbit hole, and then you figure out, okay, mm -hmm. you know, I see I see this guy as having significant potential, and I really like his uh, value at ADP. But for me, you know, that Tampa Bay ba uh, Buccaneers backfield, I really think it's going to be a three-headed monster. Uh, and I think barring injury, it's going to be tough for one guy to excel. I think – Without the you know addition of Gio Bernard, I would be more than happy to take either Fournette and yes, even Ronald Jones, uh, you know where they're currently going. But with Gio coming in, I, I just have a lot of respect for Gio. Uh, I love what he does out of the backfield. I really do see him in that James White role. And but what really scares me with Gio is that James White saw touches uh, in the red zone and at the goal line when he was with the Patriots. And the way that Brady commands an offense, you know, if they're moving fast, you know, he gets down the field pretty quickly. Uh, when he sees when he sees a weakness on that defense, you know, he's he's rushing guys up to the huddle. He's not letting this, you know, the defense, uh, you know, come to a huddle or, or or swap out players and bring guys off the uh, sideline. And so if, if, if Gio's on the field, he just may be on the field for an entire series. And, and I don't think he has any issue giving the ball to Gio at the goal line. And I think Gio's a little bit better in between the tackle. In between the tackles, uh, a little bit better than uh, James White is, but uh, maybe not, you know, the uh, pass ca catcher that James White is. But I think that role, I really do see him locking down that uh, pass catching role, that third back role, third down back role in that, you know, the hurry up offense, et cetera. So that leaves, you know, Len Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, in my opinion, really taking, the, you know, splitting that, uh, you know, in between the 20s role, you know, some of the goal line work, obviously. But, you know, when it comes to pass catching and obviously, you know, the FFPC being in a PPR format, mm -hmm. I just, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I don't want to have to, you know, guess which week one of those guys is going to score a touchdown right. or, you know, go for 80 plus yards. Yeah, that's what's made me more interested in that backfield for best ball drafting than for lineup setting because somebody's going to score points. It's going to be yeah, a good absolutely. offense. And if I don't have to guess who it is in a given week, then I'll take shots at whoever. I, I'm not quite as high on Gio Bernard, but I could see it, and I'll be curious yeah. to see how it sorts out during training camp. If they you know, fall, and I think that our draft – I think our draft I ended up taking Leonard Fournette in like round 10, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. So – you know, if they slide, then I'm willing to take a shot and, and see where the backfield goes. But I agree, as we get toward more of the roster management in season, yeah. that's just going to be a headache. I'm not sure anybody's just going to take yeah. the job and run with it. And that's the unique thing about the additional game this year. I think that that's uh, an important thing that's kind of gone 
underlooked or, or maybe hasn't really been talked about all that much. I think teams are well aware of that, and we're starting to see it. We've already been kind of moving towards this running back by committee or even, you know, even the starting running back being spelled uh, fairly often. You know, seeing guys mm-hmm. get 20 carries in a game is just, you know, outside of Derrick Henry is just so, you know, so rare these days. So I think teams are really going to be cautious, especially these teams that are uh, Super Bowl contenders or, or playoff contenders. The other side of that coin is, Fournette is a guy to stash, you know, Geo gets hurt. You got the guy that not only can see work at the goal line and in between the twenties, but also, you know, someone, you know, probably the bet to, you know, to see, you know, see the passing downs work between him and Rojo. So if I were going to go with one, I'd probably want to go with uh, Leonard Fournette there. Yeah. I mean, the way to work that backfield is to not overcommit to anybody and just wait and take somebody (laughs) who drops, because if you want, you can write a story for any of those guys. You can say, they brought Absolutely. back Leonard Fournette and he barely had any preseason last year. Or you can say Ronald Jones is the younger one and he's been the more effective runner and he's yeah. still ascending. Or you can say they signed Gio Bernard for a reason. They could have gotten James White and they didn't. They Absolutely. signed Gio Bernard. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. Absolutely. So as I mentioned a couple times now, we did do that main event league. We're going to get to that for recapping now. Um, and as I put up the board, what did you think of the slow draft format for those? Oh, it was painful. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know? I asked you that only, only because I know that you believe that already. And I find it kind of ironic that a doctor is complaining about the wait time. Oh, if you've ever seen me in a doctor's waiting room when I'm the patient, <laughs> you know, it's just uncalled for. And, you know, I'm sure my patients could tell you, you know, you know, depending on the clinic day that uh, the wait can be pretty gruesome as well, too. But, but that, but that being said, I found it very, from a different perspective of, you know, when you're on the clock in your typical draft and you have a minute to draft, you got to move and think quickly mm-hmm. and you just maybe just go with that gut feeling being on the, you know, on the clock for six hours plus <laughs> you have the time to say, okay, well, let me be a hundred percent sure about this. Mm-hmm. And then you really go down the rabbit hole. And so I actually like the slow drafts as a replacement, maybe for the best ball drafts when it comes to prepping for, your just typical redraft leagues mm-hmm. on a fast clock uh, because now you can, and I'm not condoning waiting six hours for a pick. Okay? <laughs> I've done it a couple of times. I, my apologies to those who were in, the, you know, who, who, were, who were in that league. I was, you know, I was on a flight and maybe one pick I really did take it, you know, that, that amount of time, but, but no, seriously, you can, you can spend some time to really, you know, try and figure out, okay, you know, maybe you think that you like, you know, Justin Jefferson over at DK Metcalf, and then you do a deep dive. You look into the offense. You you know you 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 do the coaching assessment. You go back and look at previous stats. Maybe you look at some projections. Uh, you look at the team as a whole, and then you sort of kind of come to a conclusion that wait, okay, I think I actually like DK Metcalf significantly more than Justin Jefferson. And so from here on out, now you figured out that ranking in your particular tier. Mm-hmm. So you know, sometimes you can have these rankings pre-draft and, you know, but when you're on that clock, it's a completely different thing. That's really when you know uh, if you're on a guy or if you like a guy more than another guy, especially when they're within the same tier. So it was, it was interesting from that format, but yeah, it, it is a, it's a slow burn. (laughs) (laughs) I I like them. I like having multiple going on at the same time, just because it's tough for me to find like two and three hour blocks where I can just sit down and draft at least without making my wife unhappy. But uh, (laughs) it it definitely takes patience. It helps to have multiple going on um, at once. And I agree. You see fewer of the crazy picks in these kind of drafts because people have time to reason out what they want to plan it before their turn and to think all they want when they're on the clock. So it's, it's different drafts. I want to get into a few more of the live drafts so I can try to capitalize on some of those crazy picks that go, but let's get into your team here. You got Dalvin cook at the number three spot overall. He's been an auto pick for me at number two this year. I'm taking him every time I'm second. So I think that you we're fortunate to get him even in the tight end premium where it was Travis Kelsey who took that second spot, followed that with Najee Harris in round two. He was the 14th running back off the board. His ADP now sits a little bit earlier than that in all FFPC formats. So, so how did you feel about that start to your team? Oh, I love the start. Dalvin Cook always makes me a little bit nervous just given the injury history. And it's almost mm-hmm. like you're rolling the dice again and again and mm-hmm. again, you know, until you crap out because he just, you know, he was able to stay healthy for the majority of last year. 
but he's just such a dynamic player when he's on the field. And, you know, with all of these first round running backs, you know, anything can happen to anyone. CMC was thought to be indestructible until last year, obviously mm-hmm. what happened. So, and, and no one, everyone was a little bit weary of uh, Derrick Henry coming off a, a massive workload the year prior and he was able to pull through. So, I don't want to say I completely ignore injury, but you, you you can't you can't play this game with too much caution. So love getting Dalvin Cook there. I mean, when I can start off with one of these, you know, top two tier running backs, I mean, it, it's it's really ideal. And it was even better from a standpoint if I didn't have to make that decision between Travis Kelsey and someone else. <laughs> it's always a tough decision. Yeah. Uh, and then the Najee Harris pick, uh, I'm very, you know, high on Najee this year. I'm high on a lot of these running backs. So it's one of those things where it's just like take your pick. And on any given day, I may, you know, say I like one more than the other or kind of getting back to the ownership percentage question. You know, if I really like a lot of guys, okay, I got this amount of shares of Chubb. Okay, I need to get this amount of shares of Antonio Gibson, et cetera. So for me, you know, the Najee pick was such an easy pick because I have him uh, significantly higher ranked than that. And for someone in that tier or my tier to fall to me at that you know, be able to pair him with someone like a Dalvin Cook. I just, I absolutely love that start. I understand the O-line issues, but I think he's a traditional, going to be one of the few Mm -hmm. uh, workhorse and potential bell cow backs that we see this year. Yeah, I mean, Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry are on their own level for a workload. And Najee Harris, it it seems like Pittsburgh might be trying to get him to that level right away. I wouldn't be surprised if you have a couple of 70% carry share guys. Trey Sermon is that a player that you like this year or was he kind of a chance worth taking in this particular draft after you laid that solid running back base? I believe he was your round six pick here. Yeah. I'm not a person who takes a lot of rookies. I'm very skeptical, skeptical uh, from a standpoint of there's just so many variables in terms of how they are going to acclimate to the NFL, how they're going to adjust to uh, the, uh, you know, their new system, et cetera, especially when it kind of comes to running backs and being able to learn a system. You know, I think one of the biggest issues with Daryl Henderson was just that, you know, he, you know, he wasn't used to sort of kind of running that type of uh, 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 scheme, uh, you know, when he, you know, made the uh, switch from, you know, Maryland to, you know, to the Rams. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you never know how those things are going to go. We saw that with Jonathan Taylor last year. And it, it, it may be, and, it was, and that to me was a situation where he was kind of getting used to, you know, playing at the next level, but just getting used to his O-line, getting used to the blocking scheme, et cetera. So I typically am, you know, shy away from rookies, but every year I have a handful of rookies. Last year, you know, I planted my flag on uh, on Cam Akers uh, because I, you know, I was okay with, you know, taking a, a stab at him in the fifth and sixth round. Didn't feel like it was uh, a huge amount of draft capital, tr- draft capital, but thought it could maybe pay off. And so I see Trey Sermon very much in that way uh, this year. I really do see him as having, uh, you know, being a three down back. I don't think that he's going to be a bell cow. I do think that he can play on all three downs. So he should see some work in the passing downs. But I want running backs from, you know, teams in great offensive systems if I, you know, if they're not going to be bell cows. So we all are aware of how great the San Francisco O-line is and how you know, they may even be better than sh- this year. You know, Shanahan running scheme, that you know, you know zone running scheme. So, I felt like he's a perfect fit for that system. I love what I saw in college. He was my favorite running back actually coming out of college, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as, you know, if I had to kind of rank them. So, yes, it's a bit of a, uh, I don't want to call it a reach, but uh, a bit of a, uh, a play to win type pick because we don't know mm-hmm. who's going to be starting week one and how many carries he's going to be getting. But that San Francisco schedule and, you know, I, yeah, kind of talk you know, about strength of schedule in the past, but I like that playoff schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. And I and I like the uh, especially during the money tournament weeks. Uh, I like their schedule. And uh, if Trey Lance is back there. Uh, I think it's also going to you know really help out the running game as well. So so many reasons why I love uh, mm-hmm. Trey Sermon, and, and I and I like where we got him. And I do think laying uh, Dalvin Cook and Najee Harris in the first two spots where you're going to be starting them every week, it it makes it easier to take a shot on somebody who you might understand there's some risk. How much attention do you pay to the the playoff schedules for a large field tournament like this? I I do pay attention. uh, And, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, you got to just take the gamble. Like, for Mm -hmm. instance, uh, Christian McCaffrey has a week 13 bye. I don't care when his buy is. I'm going to be taking Christian McCaffrey at the 101. And, and then I think he gone. faces the Bucks twice in those final few weeks too. Exactly, exactly. And so sometimes you just got to bite the bullet. Uh, but then I get to a guy like Miles Sanders, who I actually like this year. But you know, having to you know face the Washington Football Team twice in in, in the tournament weeks, 
And then the other questions that he has, you know, I'm, you know, I, I moved from having him you know, as a late third round pick to now, you know, an early fourth, mid fourth round pick. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'll still take him, but he's moved down the board from that for, for that reason. So for me, when it comes to strength of schedule, you need to be at the extremes. Anything in between, I'm really not considering it. So I need to be able to look at the schedule and just know or have a strong uh, belief that those defenses that you're facing are going to be in the bottom half or bottom mm-hmm. A quarter of the league, you know, as far as their run defense or as far as their pass defense. And then depending on the position, you know, sort of kind of look at it and say, okay, anticipate, you know, this running back to have the easiest, you know, strength of schedule when it comes to running backs. But if they're sort of kind of in the middle, uh, you know, especially you take, for instance, take a team like the, uh, the Vikings, I expect them to be significantly better, you know, on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball this year than they were last year. So, you know, play, you know, teams like that, I, I place less emphasis on strength of schedule. But other teams, sadly, my Texans, I, you know, <laughs> they fall in that bucket of, uh, uh, you know. It's going to be a friendly yeah. spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know in doing our strength of schedule articles, I tried to, you know, make educated guesses at what will be the worst matchups, what will be the best matchups, and then just not assume anything about the middle and make sure to tell people along the way that these are merely educated guesses. Some of this will change. A lot of it could change. And make sure you don't overrate it, but it's kind of a a tiebreaker thing. Yeah, your methodology and the uh, process that you took, I think it's very, very important to be very explanatory to some Mm -hmm. degree as far as, you know, okay, this is why I chose these metrics to determine, you know, who had the easiest strength of schedule for wide receivers, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and that allows a reader to be able to determine, okay, based off of, you know, his criteria, based off of, you know, his metrics and his, uh, you know, whatever, you know, you know, whatever points you use to come up with, you know, your rankings, I feel comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Or there's a certain part of this that I don't feel comfortable with it. So and then you mm-hmm. can tr- try and gauge, you know, how much weight you want to put uh, towards that. So but I, I definitely took a look at you guys and strength of schedule. And for the most part, I was in uh, in a lot of agreement uh, when it came to especially the uh, running back strength of schedule. Yeah, I finally understand why teachers always wanted me to show my work on math tests, too. It was annoying back then, but now I know it, so you can trust the answer. It's always about the why. (laughs) That's right. Now, you got Russell Wilson in round seven as the seventh QB off the board in this draft. How are you approaching QB in general coming off such a high-scoring year at the position? Guys are getting pushed up a little bit. It hasn't been as extreme as we've turned from best ball to um, full season drafting, I don't think. But how are are you – is there a level where you're trying to make sure you get – a quarterback before you're past this guy? So I, I guess I got to first say that I did this draft with Deo, my partner in crime at first and 15th. Uh, mm-hmm. So we went, uh, you know, we both, uh, I had the first two, then he had the next two and we just alternated uh, every two picks. Uh, so he's actually the one that chose Russell Wilson. I was fine with that pick. This year is very unique for me when it comes to quarterback drafting. Typically I'm someone who wants to wait, but I think the mm-hmm. quarterback landscape is very, very different this year. You have, this top one to two tier, I just say they're all one tier, quote unquote, Konami code running backs, mm-hmm. the guys who can really kill it on the ground and and really get you those QB one overall weeks. And then you just have a lot of guys uh, who just have a lot of potential. Uh, and then you have some of the veteran, you know, passing quarterbacks like Tom Brady uh, or even an Aaron Rodgers, where through volume and through the amount of TDs that they're projected to throw can can provide service serviceable weeks. So I'm all over the place. Mm-hmm. I think in the ideal scenario, I draft a quarterback late mm-hmm. because if you look through those six rounds and even the seventh round, there's some quality players there. And I still want to fill out my starting roster from a you know, wide receiver, tight end and running back position. But you have to win a quarterback. I mean, I just look back at some of my teams from last year that just didn't make it. And there were some monsters there that didn't make it because, you know, maybe I had Matt Ryan as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the thing when you, you know, that you need to uh, think about when approaching quarterback is not their overall end of year numbers. You have to think about it from a standpoint. Okay. If I start said quarterback on this week, how confident am I in that he's going to produce me, you know, top 12 QB numbers. And am I, am I going to be playing a game that I can't win? So mm-hmm. then I start him one week, he performs badly. Then I bench him and start another guy because I'm streaming and then he goes off on my bench and the other guy is very mediocre. You could find yourself down 3-0 uh, or 0-3 when it comes to how accurately you're starting quarterback. So so those things matter to me. So I think when I'm paying up for a quarterback, it's more so I'm paying for that, not having to manage every week 
you know, a guy like Lamar and Kyler, Patrick Mahomes, you're just going to be starting every single week. Uh, and you don't have to play that game. I think there's going to be a lot less volatility versus if you're playing the uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Baker Mayfield, Trevor Lawrence, those type of games. And I love a lot. I love, you know, someone like Trevor Lawrence and, and those guys. And you asked about, you know, sleeper picks earlier. I think people are, I think everyone's on this guy, Trey Lance. I mean, he's mm -hmm. someone that I'm trying to get in every league as well, even understanding that he may not start any games this week. Mm -hmm. Or this year, uh sorry. Mm. Now, are, are you um, usually taking two quarterbacks? Because you talk about wanting to start somebody every week, and I was just kind of scrolling through the yeah. board a little bit and seeing how many teams in our league only took one quarterback. And I think it's three, maybe four. I'm surprised that the Joe Burrow team didn't take a second quarterback. Mm -hmm. But are you normally taking a second quarterback regardless of who you end up with as your first just to help with team management? So if I end up with someone like Patrick Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, or Josh Allen, for the most part, I'm not taking a second quarterback. Mm -hmm. uh, if I do, it's something random happened <laughs> mm -hmm. and I can't explain it. Uh, those teams, your partner picking that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, when we get to that next tier, the Russell Wilson tier, and I mm -hmm. and I love Russ this year, and I'm hoping this year put it into the uh wild swings from the first half of the season to the second half of the season or the second or, or you know and it, it seems to change every year mm -hmm. uh but i think you know uh you know the new oc Waldron coming in i think that you know will allow you know high upside offense with a lot less volatility but someone like that i'm even with that being said someone like that you know knowing that he struggles against some of the you know teams in his division who have, you know, elite defenses like the Rams. And I think the 49ers will be one of the elite defenses this year as well. I may draft a second quarterback just in the event that, you know, when it, you know, when I've seen him for, you know, I've had a chance to see him for three to four weeks, if I'm not quite comfortable, I'm hundred percent fine and sitting, sitting Russell Wilson. So I'm mm -hmm. someone who's not going to just take, you know, not just going to blindly start, you know, uh, let's call him a, you know, a second or third tier star uh, because, you know, you're supposed to start your stars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing if it's Lamar, Kyler, Mahomes, CMC, Lamar, mm -hmm. guys like that. It's another thing if it's, you know, someone who's in a tier below. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you've got the cutoff just about right, too. I mean, I'm, I'd probably throw Dak Prescott into that group as well, where you're yeah. you're almost definitely starting that guy every single week and you can yeah. go without a second quarterback. Russell Wilson definitely could be that guy this year. Yeah. And after the way he played last year, yeah. I, I would probably want to insure him yeah. as well and make sure that he's that he's more like first half Russell Wilson than second half. And I mean, especially if you can get Ryan Tannehill at a solid spot like that. Absolutely. And I'm fine sometimes in some drafts taking three quarterbacks. I mean, like if it, you know, if it if it just so works out that I'm like missing out on quarterbacks, you know, uh, ideally because I'd like to get a quarterback when they fall fall into me as opposed mm -hmm. to reaching. But if I'm just missing out left and right uh, and, you know, uh, I end up, you know, with the Joe Burrow as my starting quarterback and I'm OK, like taking three quarterbacks. You usually one of those guys is someone like Taysom Hill, you know, mm -hmm. and then maybe I pair him with the Trevor Lawrence. That's not a position that, again, I, I put a lot of emphasis on trying to make sure that I'm right in that position. And if I need to do that, you know, in terms of playing the softest matchups on a weekly basis until I feel comfortable, I will roster three quarterbacks. I put a lot, I think a lot more um, weight on that position than I think most. I think most people are saying, you know, the the, the, the typical dogma when it comes to quarterback is just draft one or stream them. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, I go back to how accurately are you starting, you know, set quarterback. So. Right. And then you're also trusting what's on the wire and trusting your ability to manage yeah. all of your teams and hit the wire and get the right guy all the time. Especially, you know, in a league format where they're, you know, uh, you know, the roster, you know, 20 spots, you know, during COVID, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're seeing a rise, you know, in numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, who knows what's going to be happen you know, happening, you know, uh, when, you know, when the season opener comes around. So we saw what happened last year, you know, you, you were kind of caught with your pants down. It was not a fun thing. So I, I pre prefer to be prepared at that position because some of these later guys that we draft, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, when I'm spending, an, you know, a 19th, 20 round pick on on uh, Taysom Hill, you know, people are you know asking, you know, why are you, you know, drafting the third quarterback It's because they're going to be guys on waivers. There always mm -hmm. are, you know. Mm -hmm. And after I get to, you know, watch those first two games, you know, I'm fine, like spending a good amount of my fab early on on guys that I think uh, have significant potential. So I'm never worried about wasting a roster spot.
mm-hmm. the entire waiver wire is my roster. Yeah, especially when not wasting is taking somebody like Jared Dokes. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> you guys waited until round 10 for your first tight end in this draft. Only two other drafters in our league waited longer than that. Is Do you tend to wait on a tight end in FFPC drafts, or is that just kind of how the picks fell in this particular draft? Yeah, honestly, I approach it the same way that I approach a uh, quarterback position. Uh, basically, want value to fall to me. So it's mm-hmm. rare that I'm reaching for a guy. I definitely have a handful of tight ends that I'm very, very high on. But within those first six rounds, I'm not, you know, I don't want to really reach for anyone. I think Travis Kelsey is fine, uh, you know, where he goes almost anywhere in the first round. Uh, same thing with Waller. I can't argue against taking Waller at the 103, 104, 105 because he has. Travis Kelsey upside. And I got to give credit to Deo, who's, you know, I think first one that we're going to put that in thought into my head, but uh, I think he's, you know, I think he's right. And we just heard nothing but drum beats about how mm-hmm. he may even have his role a little bit more expanded. So, but for me again, yeah, I, I, I try to get those guys at value. Usually I'm not going that early at uh, tight end. I'm rarely ever going for pits. I, I'm fine, you know, being wrong on him. Mm-hmm. Same thing with TJ Hawkinson. Uh, so I'm usually not looking at the tight end position until uh, late sixth round. And so, you know, someone like a Goddard falls to me late sixth round. He's someone I'll usually go go with. And then there are a few handful of guys in the later rounds that, I, that I'm very high on that uh, I'll potentially reach for. So if I got to wait, I'll wait. Were there any particular picks or team builds in this draft that surprised you? I know the one that jumped out to me was Team 6 opening up with four straight running backs. Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, J.K. Dobbins, Travis Etienne. I mean, I I guess I can see the third. I was really surprised to see a fourth one. Yeah, uh, and that's that's something that we've been seeing uh, quite a bit this year. I've been seeing quite a bit this, you know, robust to the – or RB robust extreme to the extreme uh, type build uh, where some guys will even go six straight running backs. That, that's definitely surprising in a main event. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those, okay, you know, not only am I going to take four wide receivers, I'm going to go with my fifth wide receiver in the fifth round, you know, and, and going, you know, Travis Etienne uh, and J.K. Dobbins, I, you know, I get it to, a, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, if if you're getting just, you know, great value on certain players, but there's so, you know, few running backs going in the third round that just, you know, we look at as uh, being able to really pay off or exceed, uh, you know, uh, third round value for the most part. And when I'm thinking about, you know, the type of team that I want going in to those last three weeks of the tournament, I feel like I need a wide receiver that just has boom potential, just like mm-hmm. absolute, you know, to the moon potential. And I'm not quite sure that I, you know, see that on that team. Now that given said, you know, any of those, you know, OBJ could go off for three touchdowns if he's the OBJ of old. But, you know, to me, that's a you know team that's uh, run first. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It, it, it may pay off. Uh, he's definitely, you know, has some depth at that position. And I think probably wide receivers, one of the easier positions that you can feel in. But, yeah, it's not 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 my cup of tea. Yeah, I think it's one of those builds that's, you know, a little bit more interesting to try in a best ball draft. And I don't know how many teams that this particular person is drafting. So maybe if they're just drafting a bunch, they want to play around with one. The two flex spots gives you flexibility to Mm -hmm. do different things, because obviously you only need to start two running backs every week. You only need to start two wide receivers every week. And those two other spots can be any of those positions. But I think that for something like this to work out. I mean, all four of those running backs basically have to finish probably top 15 because we've seen year over year the drop off at running back is much sharper in in terms of weekly PPR scoring than it is at wide receivers. So the running backs start up here, the wide receivers are here, and then the running backs go like this, and the wide receivers are just flatter. So, yeah, yeah, it's just tougher to expect that you're going to start the right wide receivers every week. Absolutely, and and I 100% agree with that. Uh, and I thought team one was, uh, you know, I was curious as to why uh, they decided to go for Lamar in the fifth round after drafting, you know, A.J. Brown and Julio. I would have assumed that they would have, you know, gone for the uh, Titan stack there, you know, in terms of trying to, you know, wait at that position and, and, and get Tannehill. But, uh, you know, you can't fault them. I don't think you have to stack. But mm-hmm. I think if I'm getting two wide receivers from, you know, the same team, that's a scenario where, I'm probably going to be, you know, having that in the back of my mind because, you know, you know, this type of bill, you're really going to probably need both of them to do pretty well. 
Yeah, I would tend to focus less on stacking in this kind of format than I would in best ball. But if I'm going to draft both of those wide receivers, I, I'm pretty much banking on Ryan Tannehill having a huge season if yeah. I want to win this tournament. Exactly, exactly. Now, before I let you go, be honest, what should I have done differently with my team in this draft? And for anybody who's not familiar, I've got team five. So, I mean, I, I got to be quite honest. I love the way you started this draft. OK, uh, very high on Zeke. Uh, again, you can just make the argument this, you know, almost the entire first round is just turning into one large tier, depending on how you want to, you know, uh, construct your team. So but I love Zeke. I'm very high on him. I think it's a huge ba- bounce back here. Aaron Jones, you know, credit to you for, you know, uh, at least at the time we were drafting, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, where he was as far as coming back to the Green Bay versus retirement versus trades was very much up in the air. So I think, you you know, you took the value, you took a chance there, and and that should pay off uh, quite well. You got Justin Jefferson, a great value uh, past ADP. He's someone I'm coming around to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, lucky on that one. Yeah. And you know, at first I was, you know, question, you know, questioning whether or not he may be able to repeat it. But I mean, after kind of going back and watching some of the games and, you know, and just doing, a, again, a deep dive into him, um, I feel pretty comfortable that he's likely going to repeat. Cooper Cup, again, uh, I don't want to say that you got lucky there. You took him in the fourth round, but <laughs> where it may have been seen as, OK, maybe you took him just a tad bit ahead of ADP. Honestly, I, I don't mind anyone that you took him over, to be quite mm-hmm. honest. Uh, so. I really like where you got him there. Tyler Lockett, I mean, everybody loves Tyler Lockett. Oh, yeah. Right? So you, anytime you can get Tyler Lockett in the fifth round, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And then you got, you know, Dak in the sixth round, a nice, you know, quarterback. Again, Higby. I'm going through your entire draft here because I really like it. Uh, <laughs> you know, Higby, I'm, I'm, I'm still – I just don't know where I'm at uh, on him. Same. I don't have a lot of shares. Uh, but you know, if you're going to get him, you know, it's a, a decent spot to get him in. And obviously with the, uh, acres injury, you know, he could be looking at more volume as well. Talked about how much I love Brandon cooks. Okay. So mm-hmm. then now we get to the point where I'm like, eh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can't, I mean, you took Leonard Fournette in the ninth round. I mean, how can I, really? you that? you know, like you, you, you took a stab. I mean, I don't like Zach Moss. Uh, I think I have zero shares. Uh, I understand people passing on Melvin Gordon. I'm a little bit higher. I think I maybe would have taken that chance, but I, I get it not drafting a veteran with an incumbent rookie because towards season end when the, you know, especially during the money weeks, more oftentimes than not the younger guys, you know, uh, getting the majority of the work for whatever reason, I'm not a huge Kenyon Drake per, you know, fan. So mm-hmm. I can't, you know, I can't really fault you. I'm like, you know, I always look at the board when people are, you know, ask, you know, why did you take X player? Well, I'm saying, you know, look at the players that went around them. You know, I didn't like any of those guys. That's why I took them, you know? So, so I understand that pick. I love Jamal Williams. Uh, you know, the only thing, you know, only I want to say issue that I had was in the you know later part of the draft there. You just took players that I'm just not that high on. But that's a mm-hmm. that's a player preference thing. I'm not mm-hmm. high on Bateman because I'm higher on Marquise Brown. Mm-hmm. So you may be right. I may be right. I mean, it's right. kind of within the realms of each player's possibilities. Sterling Shepard, um, you know, there are a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. I think we see if anyone kind of continues with the addition of Galladay in terms of their target volume, I think it'll be more Ingram. But again, I mean, he was his favorite target. You know, uh, that O-line has issues. If he's got to get the ball out quick, it's usually going to go to, you know, a slot receiver, someone working close to the line. And then the Mo Alley Cox, I'm not a fan. I just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know we, we now this is before training camp started. So, you know, we're already kind of starting to hear about the rookie tight end and, you know, with the Colts. So he's so raw, but he's so athletic. So I get it. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> I, grabbed, I picked him up on a lot of teams last year. Uh, the Deshaun Watson pick was a Hail Mary pick. Uh, I don't have a lot of Deshaun. I don't think he plays this year, uh-huh. but I understand the pick there. And you did, I think, what a lot of smart drafters did. You took a stab at the uh, Chargers backfield. Mm-hmm. One of these guys right. <laughs> is going to hit. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think all in all, you had a great job, uh, a great draft, uh, you know. Outside of some player preferences, I don't have much mm-hmm. of any issue. I think you're just a little bit light at tight end, which, you know, you'll just have to kind of work on that, you know, maybe in waivers and maybe unless Higby, you know, goes mm-hmm. off. Yeah, there were certainly a few things that I would have liked to have seen go differently. I was kind of hoping that Noah Fant was going to linger into round six and then maybe mm-hmm. I'd choose my quarterback at the next pick, but he didn't get anywhere close. So it wasn't like, a, oh, I got a sniped yeah. kind of thing. So. Yeah, a lot of those later guys are, are more stabs on what might happen. Rashad Bateman specifically is somebody that I'm trying to see, like, what could happen that's not yeah. necessarily 
predictable and yeah. you, it very well might be Marquise Brown being the lead receiver there. And Rashad Bateman might be somebody that I cut mid year, but it's like the, in the perfect story for him, if he becomes yeah. their number one wide out and they do throw the ball a little bit more, you know, maybe Rashad Bateman does something special. I think the consensus falls more in line with your thinking when mm-hmm. it comes to that uh, Ravens wide receiver court. I think I'm on an island when it comes to Marquise <laughs> Brown, but I just gotta just go back to that back last half of mm-hmm. the uh, year. Those you know, you know, last six seven games in terms of how they used him, the routes that he was running. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know, I think we see more of that as opposed to him just running a bunch of nine routes. And again, even on those nine routes, Lamar was missing him. But I just see more slot work. I see you know now he's not seeing that you know uh, that number one corner every single week. So mm-hmm. who knows? I think out of that entire passing offense, Lamar's a guy to have. <laughs> oh, yeah. If Bateman and Marquise Brown were going at the same spot, I would swap off shares with both of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, Marquise, Mar- Marquise Brown, we talked about on our AFC North pod recently. He had a top 10 target share among wide receivers last year. He's a first-round pick from just a few years ago, heading into his third season. So it definitely might remain him as the lead target in Baltimore. It's going to be a fun offense to watch to see exactly how they sort that out. And if you're going to be on an island, then it's best to be stuck there with somebody who's fast enough to run across the water. That's true. That's true. I like the way you put that. I'm going to steal that. (laughs) There you go. He is trained to do surgery on your head. He is a co-host of the First and 15 podcast. He is the back-to-back winner of the Football Guys Championship. And if he's lucky, he might even finish second behind me in our FFPC main event league. He is Dr. Abib Agbatova. Thanks very much for joining me tonight, man. Thank you so much. It was great to be on. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. Check out DraftSharks.com for all your rankings and content needs, including my recap of this draft that we just talked about. Subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and elsewhere. And tune in next week as we start the live streams for all six DraftSharks Invitational Leagues, including Dr. A here. For my guests, Dr. Abib Agbatoba and the entire DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.